Hello, and welcome to Wavelength by Resonance, a podcast where we aim to bring you the biggest news in tech from the last two weeks and what headlines to watch out for next. Hello, and welcome back. This week, we're joined by Tom C for the second time in this tour of Wavelength's greatest hits. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing very well, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me back on. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, I'm hoping this is going to be a great episode. Oh, they all are, Tom. They all are. (laughs) But they're especially good when you're on. Thank you. Thanks so much. (laughs) No worries. So, this week, we're going to do something a little bit different. Basically, there's been one story dominating the world of B2B tech. So instead of covering, you know, multiple smaller kind of stories as we usually do, I thought we'd go all in and discuss the one thing that everyone's been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And that is Microsoft versus Google. Bing versus, well, Google again. Uh, And ChatGPT versus Bard. So essentially, this is about the AI arms race that's been kicked off by two of the biggest companies in the world, essentially. So we've spoken previously about ChatGPT and integrations into Bing and Microsoft Office and that kind of thing. But with the official announcement of Microsoft saying they're integrating ChatGPT into Bing, Google also announced its own ChatGPT competitor, Bard, which it's going to put into its search engine. So let's run down the uh, the key points kind of quickly. So just a bit of a recap for people who may not have listened to the previous episodes. OpenAI released ChatGPT to huge acclaim over the last few months. Uh, and with this new funding from Microsoft, which is reportedly around $100 billion, uh, and also involves a huge amount of OpenAI's profits going to Microsoft, uh, I think I read around 75%, this means that OpenAI has reached 1 million users faster than any other big dominant tech company or an app or a platform, you know, like Apple, probably Microsoft itself, Google, any of these things. ChatGPT was just experiencing, I think to call it exponential growth is probably underselling how fast it grew. Uh, And allegedly over the years, they've had more secret backing from Microsoft, OpenAI that is, to develop the product kind of, not in secret, but uh, under the radar. So interesting to see that paying off. Yeah, so with all this crazy growth and a lot of media news as well, it's been everywhere at the moment, um, it seems that Google have got a bit envious and um, (laughs) some would say they perhaps rushed the um, release of Bard, but they're definitely sort of capitalising on the hype cycle of ChatGPT. There was a bit of news, I'm sure you all remember last year, around Lambda. Uh, One of the engineers working on it was sort of in the news um, for probably the wrong reasons, Google would certainly say. So yes, with all the noise around GBT, chat GBT, I should say, uh, Google kind of came up with the idea of announcing the news that they were integrating their own um, AI into their search engine first. Google have already experienced kind of negative press around their AI with a couple of months ago, we covered their chatbot Lambda, which Bard is based on, and how one of their research engineers basically came out to the national media and said, oh my God, this, this chatbot is sentient. And then he just got absolutely roundly ridiculed. So maybe potentially don't want to make fun of him further. But at the same time, it shows that Google's aware of what goes on when you botch one of these announcements. And a point to raise is that the launch of Bard actually went very badly compared to Microsoft's launch of the ChatGPT enhanced Bing. Because they basically sent out a demo 
uh, of people using the Bard chatbot in Google search. And it was asked about the James Webb Space Telescope. And I think, you know, what, which telescope took the first pictures of a, an extrasolar planet? And it actually returned the wrong answer. So, and obviously everyone sees this, the public sees this, tech people see it, investors see it. So shares in Alphabet, which owns Google, lost $163 billion in value over the next couple of days following that demo. And that is sort of where all this criticism comes from, that people saying that the leader of Google kind of rushed this to, to the press, even though it wasn't fully ready, just because they didn't want to fall behind Microsoft. Yeah, and of course, the lesson here is that, you know, with hyper competition, um, a lot of the, even the largest companies in the world can feel pressured to sort of catch up with their direct competitors. But uh, there's always the potential of it going badly, especially in a media sense. And uh, I think Google will probably be ruining the mistakes of this one. Yeah, and exactly. So we'll move on to the section where we kind of talk about what, what do we think is going to happen in the media next? Where does this story kind of evolve? And I think looking at, as we just covered, like the accuracy problems, large language models in AI and like generative AI as a practice has always run into two main issues in the way that it's covered in the media. And that's the accuracy of results and copyright problems with how these models are trained. Google and Microsoft basically need to show how they're tackling this accuracy concern if they want people to have full confidence in their products because the copyright thing is a major debate and that's going to keep going on. For example, we've covered Microsoft's Copilot, which is essentially ChatGPT for coding, and they're under the subject of a lawsuit right now about whether they've used other people's proprietary codes to, to train the models. But I think accuracy in search is kind of the biggest thing in terms of people go to search engines to get a specific answer. And if they're trusting you and you're giving them the wrong response, that's obviously terrible for your shares, for your investors, for just basically everything about you as a company. Because experts have warned that these large language models, you know, which is what VARD and ChatGPT are made up of, are prone to errors because... They're built using loads of data sets, you know, billions of words that train this AI to generate, you know, plausible sounding responses. But just because something sounds plausible or confident doesn't mean that it's going to be right. So basically, it kind of uses this predictive analysis where they build the model to predict what's most likely to come after the prompt, not necessarily what the correct response is to the prompt. Yeah, and I think, you know, those concerns definitely mingle with fears and Know, potentially understandable fears a lot of people have over AI in terms of replacing certain jobs because if they're inaccurate we don't necessarily want them filling in a role that a human would otherwise. Yeah exactly and I think looking at a quote I think from Dr Andrew Rogoyski uh, and he's from the Institute of People-Centered AI from the University of Surrey and the way he describes it is chat GPT is a phrase predictor it's a system that has memorized a billion books so that it can guess what comes after the question you ask it. Everything it says is essentially a rehash of something that has been said before by a human. Uh, and the interesting thing he says is, it's not remotely intelligent. There are much smarter and more useful AI systems operating robots, diagnosing disease, or steering a car, uh, end quote. So I think the interesting point he makes here, and something we need to be aware of, is that the AI that gets the most attention in the press is not necessarily the, the AI that's going to make the most money. And we'll get onto the search market later, which is obviously a huge amount of money, but generating text by itself is not does not make that much money. 
But when you think about Microsoft maybe introducing generative AI systems into Microsoft Office or kind of selling these models through the Azure cloud platform to enterprises, that's kind of where the real money is. And that's the kind of things that are flying under the radar. So I think you'll see those stories maybe more in the, the tech trades rather than in the, the BBCs or the, the business insiders of this world. Yeah, and I think it's important to move away from this romantic idea of AI that it's, well, romantic or perhaps kind of almost horror-esque if we think about certain films like Ex Machina. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, as you've said, Dan, from a business perspective, how it's going to impact businesses is not in the kind of hyper-romanticized sense of being more intelligent than us. It's in the kind of functionality that it can bring to uh, enterprises, as you've said. Yeah, exactly. Like when you think about, it's not AI, but when you look at a computer program like, was it IBM's Deep Blue or something like that, that mm. was like the first chess system to beat a human, the whole point of that wasn't that it was so much smarter than Kasparov or anything like that. It was the fact that we used computers' abilities and really narrowly directed them to do one thing better than a human could ever do it. And I think that's kind of the future of AI, generative AI, all of these kind of machine learning systems, where it can't do everything better than a human just because of the holistic way that humans learn versus machines. So if you give AI a directive and go, you know, use kind of your processing capabilities, your memory, stores, mainframes, things like that. You can do a lot more than a human can do, but only one thing at a time. So next, looking at the headlines we think will come out around how the search market evolves around Microsoft and Google and kind of if we're going to see Google's dominance kind of replaced. When we look at SEO as a practice, you know, search engine optimization, for years, I mean, probably since it was born, Google has done probably maybe like 90% of search traffic, something like that. Like as a practice, SEO is centered around Google. And with these chatbots coming in, a lot of advertisers spend, a lot of content marketing. As a practice, that's going to entirely change because how many people are going to click through to a website when they're getting the answers they want just on the search engine results page? So, you know, looking at the corollary of the search market, looking at, say, video games, where these kind of two huge players in the console market, uh, funnily enough, one of them is Microsoft with Xbox, uh, and then you've got Sony with PlayStation. So, like, if you look at these two huge players in that market, what Microsoft has been doing recently to kind of combat Sony is kind of acquiring kind of smaller to mid-sized game developers and then kind of only releasing their products through Microsoft's proprietary platforms and devices, you know, like a, Bungie and Activision and those kind of things. I think we're going to see Microsoft like hoovering up these smaller AI integrated search companies or other kind of enterprise focused AI products before Google can do so. And, you know, potentially the reverse because Google are the ones who are, aren't doing too well right now. So if any one competitor kind of accrues too much market share away from Google or Microsoft, I think we're going to see them get snapped up quite quickly. Yeah, and I think you can take that... Um that sort of comparison even further in that Sony have kind of had success in recent years of the kind of model of quality over quantity rather than mm. releasing, you know, loads, making loads of acquisitions and releasing loads of games as Microsoft had. They've kind of stuck with their guns of having, you know, smaller, big releases. So potentially for Google, they might want to batten down the hatches and work with what they've already got. Um, but that's something that will remain to be seen. Yeah, exactly. I think we're going to see new AI releases from Google being much more cautious, much more, you know, thoroughly 
like crash tested because I'm sure Bard went through endless testing, but it just shows that no matter what you do, if you don't have your facts 100% right when it comes out, then your stocks are just gonna go crashing. Uh, and speaking of which, let's look at how we think the stock market will react, like looking at the B2B tech market from a more macro sense. So I think we're likely to see the Microsoft share price increase even further than it already has, while Google sort of takes steps to stabilize its own and kind of gain back some of the some of the shares that it lost because this has been a disastrous kind of first encounter for Google you know it came out looking disorganized and maybe even late you know regardless of how good the tech is if they come after Microsoft a lot of people think that they're copying them rather than coming out with their own technology and looking at obviously the way the stock market works is do investors think this stock is overvalued or undervalued and there's a quote from Business Insider from the Microsoft launch of the chat GPT powered Bing basically saying in case you missed it last week Microsoft held an event that had the buzz of a Steve Jobs iPhone launch which I think gives you some insight into how how hyped and how um, how much attention this is getting and I think at the moment we're probably at the the high point or approaching the apex of Microsoft's share price because you know, these rely on perception and we're kind of at the high point of anticipation for this new product where people are trying to get in on the ground floor. But it's also before any major faults in the ChatGPT Bing search engine have been revealed. So the only way that we read about Microsoft's share price getting higher after release is if they categorically prove that they fix the accuracy issues. Yeah, you know, I find um, the topic interesting because there's been a lot of hype around ChatGPT, but whether that means, uh, you know, as you said, there's going to be sort of a sustained success in terms of kind of taking over search engines and taking some of the market share back from Google. To me, it seems unlikely, but um, again, it's something that remains to be seen. It's certainly something to look out for throughout 2023. You know, how much Bing can kind of, it's funny even saying it, Bing competing <laughs> with Google. It doesn't yeah. seem like something that's going to be possible in any reality, but let's see, it could be, yeah, it, it, could, it, be it could be the future for us. <laughs> well, like, I'm sure you've like, heard that joke where it's like, you know, the number one search on Bing is Google. But it just like, I don't know if it's true, but it just does show like how much ridiculous market dominance Google has where like Microsoft needed this to go well if they have any chance of people switching over to Bing. Because I think about a million people have already signed up for the wait list for the, the new version of Bing. So I think it's, it's highly anticipated, but is it just going to be a novelty and then people immediately switch back to Google once they've got a workable alternative? I think that's genuinely a shout. You know, I think another worthwhile comparison is to think about, you know, the kind of, let's say, dominance Microsoft have over with Microsoft Office, you know, Outlook, uh, Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, and how Google have kind of emerged in a funny way, sort of as a challenger, I suppose, when they mm. first came out with Google Docs and Sheets and all of that sort of thing. But I mean, you'd probably say now that, uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure of the exact figures of market share, but, you know, Google Docs and Sheets, they're, they're established in terms of you know, I think they've got a very big user base, definitely more closer to Microsoft than Google would be to Bing. So, you know, it could be something where this is a real leveler and it, it means that the, the market changes forever. Yeah, and like looking at Google Sheets and Google Docs and their kind of alternative to MS Office in this kind of long-standing rivalry between the two of them where Microsoft came out with a huge product ages ago and Google kind of had their own version... I think the niche they kind of carved out in the office market was the co-working, cloud, mm. you know, cloud service, always online kind of thing. And I think talking about, you know, cloud computing, there are going to be consequences of this AI arms race 
you know, as hyperscalers, because Microsoft and Google, they're not just, you know, vendors of products. They also have their own cloud platforms. You know, they're, they're hyperscalers. And part of this is going to be that as Microsoft push out OpenAI's product to enterprises, they're going to try and daisy chain it through and kind of vertically integrate these companies into Microsoft Azure. And if Google come out with enterprise AI products, they're going to do the same through Google Cloud. So they've got this vested interest in forcing businesses who want to use these products to do it through their own proprietary cloud ecosystem. And so I think there's space for businesses to come out, you know, maybe seeing funding rounds in TechCrunch or VentureBee and stuff like that. And for businesses to offer versions of these AI models that don't lock businesses into these cloud ecosystems. And I think we're going to see mid-sized players filling these gaps as time goes on. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant point. And I think it's definitely been the case with business intelligence, for example, you know, mm. because... Microsoft, Microsoft, sorry, specifically have um, Power BI, uh, which is linked to their own cloud platform, and it's mm. kind of operated in that way. But now you see these challenges coming out and offering kind of analytics capabilities outside, where you know the consumer's not necessarily locked in. Yeah, and I think as well we're going to see the other hyperscalers probably trying to get in on this as well. I'm sure AWS have things in motion. I feel like I've already seen stories about them kind of working on AI projects and the like. But I think. If any kind of cloud competitors want to get in on the game, this is a perfect time to use AI to kind of force a wedge between customers and uh, other competitive hyperscalers. So yeah, and I think the final thing we want to cover in terms of predictions is, you know, we've talked about share price, we've talked about the competitive landscape, but fundamentally businesses exist to make money let's talk about where that's coming from so text and image generation you know chat gpt dali 2 it's great fun you get the headlines but that's not where the money comes from like we said that's that's either a huge amount of consumers or a huge amount of enterprise customers so chat gpt originally received loads of attention for its ability to write but OpenAI obviously have a way more profitable end goal, and that's search, which is this multi-billion dollar sector that you might not necessarily think about how much money it makes just because it's kind of free at the point of consumption, you know, ad supported, that kind of thing. And some people have taken to calling ChatGPT, you know, the Google killer, which I think is definitely over the top, but it does tell you about the way that the hype's going. We're looking at how much search is worth and how much cornering that market would be and how much share prices for Microsoft can increase if they can kind of get Bing's foot in the door. Alphabet, again, Google's parent company, made $104 billion in revenue in 2020 alone just through search, let alone everything else they do from the brand recognition that search gives them. So even taking a small amount of that market would be enormous. Uh, and that's obviously the, the driving motivator behind ChatGPT being integrated into Bing being a bigger story than it being in Microsoft Office. I, I think, you know, the war for the search engines, if we're calling it that, which we <laughs> <Yeah>. are. <laughs> Decided right we, now. We've, yeah, yeah we've, that's, our, that's our thing. Um, will also be a war for data in a way, because, you know, um, where AI can be best used in the search engine game is um, using the AI to get the most valuable data where it needs to be. Yeah, like essentially, you know, there's a billion articles out there around, you know, what's the best type of dog food or whatever. And then you've probably got data sets on top of that. You've got research from independent bodies. You've got 100 listicles, the value of this AI isn't going to, you know, someone goes to a search engine, they want the most relevant results. So instead of having to index, crawl, mainframe, do all this kind of manual work, you can just use the AI to serve it up on a plate. 
And that's kind of the thing is like, we've got all the data, now how are we, how do we use it efficiently and get it where it needs to go? So thanks for joining us today, everyone. And uh, thanks for coming on again, Tom. It's always good to talk to you. It's good to get your uh, your insights from the analyst side. Oh, you're so welcome. My pleasure, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I hope we'll uh, we'll see you again soon. And uh, I hope everyone's had a, had a good time listening to the podcast. So we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. And uh, in the meantime, goodbye. Goodbye. That was Wavelength by Resonance. Thank you for tuning in and please join us next time.